Well, listen, uh, we, we've been talking uh, last week. We started this series called Let's Talk, and um, it's, a, it's a powerful series. And we've kind of said that, that we wanted this uh, centerpiece of this table to kind of draw our attention in as to the focus of what we would be. So I shared with you in an opening story last week about how, you know, every Sunday at my house growing up with my four brothers and my parents, all six of us around the table, it was a time of sharing. And many of you have uh, emailed me this week saying, you know what, that really brought up a memory in my life as well. Some of us still do it today. It's great to know. So, so let's think about this as Jesus's table, a table where, where we can have conversation, where we can talk about things that um, help us to be better relationally, help us to be better people um, as we grow with that. So let me begin today and just, and just say this. Living with rules can cause our hearts to be at war. We not only invite failure, but we invest in it. So, so when we live with rules, it can cause our hearts to be at war, and we not only um, uh, have failures that come, but we seem to invest in it. So obviously that's the, the focus of today. We're going to talk about rules. We're going to talk about life rules. We're going to talk about rules and relationships and um, a little bit of a, a twist as we look outside of our box of our relationship with each other, but also our relationship with God. Well, let me, let me start this morning with just a, a story. Um, on one Friday many, many years ago, um, uh, it was late in the day and I had finished work and I had about 15 minute window. I was supposed to meet a good friend of mine, James Frazier. We were supposed to go down to the batting cages and hit some softballs. We were on a softball team together at our church and uh, we wanted to sharpen our skills. The problem was that same Friday, I had promised Patty I'd mow the lawn. And uh, so I don't know, you know, so we have some rules, right? So Friday was like lawn mowing day. Why was Friday lawn mowing day? So Saturday was free, right? So you didn't have to like sweat it out to deal with that. So, so I had promised her I'd mow the lawn. I had promised James. I had like 15 minutes to, to, to get over with him and to uh, do that. So I raced home, got to the garage, uh, got the mower. You can see I, I buzzed it out real fast. Got, I think it was the fastest job mowing I'd ever done the lawn in record time. I got the mower put away. I ran back in the house. I got my coach's shorts on. It kind of dates the, you know, the story of coach's shorts, you know, so it's many, many years ago. And um, as I'm leaving, I shout to Patty, hey, I'm going to go hit some balls with James. I'll be back later today to do that. And just before I'm out the door, she looks at me and she shouts out, are you going to edge? All right, so I had mowed, and it was like, are you going to edge? And, and so I, I, I kind of looked at her, and I stopped for a second. I said, no, I, I mowed. And she said, but, but are you going to edge? Aren't you supposed to edge when you mow? And I said, no. I mean, I, sometimes it didn't need to be edged. I just mowed today. And she said, Bob, it needs to be edged because when you mow, you edge, right? And I got to thinking about, well, isn't that kind of the rule of, of lawn care that you're not supposed to do like a half a job and, and, and maybe you, you, you got to do it all? And I said to her, I said, well, wait a minute. I, I'm not sure that the neighbors are going to drive by this afternoon and look at our lawn and say, oh, Bob mowed, but he didn't edge. And she said, but, but you promised me that, that, you would, that you would edge every time that you mowed. And I said, look, I've got to meet James, and, and, and I'll do it when I get back. And so I rushed out of the door. So I'm down at the batting cages. Great day at the batting cages. A couple hours later, I come home. I'd hit more balls out of, the, out of the, the park than James did as we were at this little stadium hitting balls out. I was really pumped. I was stoked and excited. I'm drinking a water in the kitchen. Patty comes in, and the first thing I wanted to know is I hit more balls out of the park than James did. And she says, that's great, but are you going to edge? <laughs> and I said, but wait a minute. And she said, you promised me you were going to edge. And I said, but, but it's dark now. It's, it's like 
The, the sun's not even up anymore. And she said, wait a minute, you, you gave me your word that when you got back, you were going to edge. And I thought about it, you know, so you've been sitting here for two hours wondering if I was going to edge while I, where's this going, you know? And, 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 and all of a sudden, so she looks at me and she says, fine, I'll do it. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you know, so, so guys, you know, like uh, bro code number one, we don't let our wives mow the lawn. Why? Because that's our space, right? We, we like to get out, we like to inhale grass, we like to get like pollen all over us, not really, but, but you know, we like to be out in the outdoors, it's, a, it's an opportunity to kind of just get rid of a lot of the, the nonsense that we've had during the day, it's creative and all of that, and there was no way I was going to let her do that, I'm like, no, you're not going to mow the lawn, and she said, well, are you, or, or you're not going to edge, I said, but are she said, but are you going to do it? And I sat there for a second. I said, fine, I'll edge the lawn. I mean, you know, so here it is. It's at dark. I'm thinking about, I'm going to put an eye out, right? Because I can't see what I'm doing with the weed whacker. Go in the garage. I get the weed whacker, and I weed whacked and edged for two hours. I thought, she wants the lawn edged. It's going to be the best edge job she's ever had, right? Because I was, I was fed up. I'm like, that's done. That's it. That's it. I'm done. And I came back in and I said, it's done. It's been edged. And she looked at me and she said, did it really have to come to all this? And I thought about it. No, it didn't. You know, I had assumed a rule. She had assumed a rule. Um, I had my own interpretation. I said I would do it when I got back, knowing fully well I wasn't going to do that. So I was trying to bend the rule. And I realized that, that that day long ago, we don't do this anymore. We pay somebody more along. But anyway, but uh, so <laughs> keep peace in the family. So, so, you know, so I just said, you know, it's not worth it. And what I learned that day was the rules. The rules damage relationships. And, and they do it in a, in a powerful way, in a way that we, we really don't want to have to deal with. So we're in week two of this series, Let's Talk. Last week, let's just do a real cap, quick recap. We talked about the difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. I said a peacekeeper is the, con, is the conflict avoider. They want to sweep it under the rug. They just kind of hope it gets away, you know, cheap grace, that kind of stuff. The peacemaker leans into the conflict. They're not looking to be right, but they're looking to get resolution so that there can be peace once again. And I said, and I shared with us ways that the scriptures call us to be peacemakers and not peacekeepers. And I used a model from National Community Church um, in Washington, D.C., Mark Batterson's church. Who remembers the four foundations? What was number one? Anybody remember number one? Ask anything. You remember that? So I said, you know, the main thing is you've got to ask questions. The way that we understand each other, especially in trying to be peacemakers, is asking questions. Help me to understand. Rather than coming to conclusions, ask questions. Who remembers number, number two was? Listen well. Somebody was listening well. Good job. Over here, A+. Plus. Good job. Was that Jerry? No? Oh, okay. It was Val. Good job, Val. A+. Plus. All right. So listen well. And I said that, you know, we, we have a tendency that all we want to do is talk. We want everybody to know our, our opinion, but are we listening to the other opinions? And I remind us God made us with two ears and one mouth. Who remembers what number three is? Freely disagree. Freely disagree. Remember that one? So what that said is, is that, that we all have opinions. And I even said that we're passionately opinionated. Okay, and, and we all have opinions, so we need to freely disagree, which means that I need to honor your opinion, and I hope you will honor my opinion. It may be totally different ways in seeing things, and we may not even agree on the solution, but we need to honor and we need to freely 
disagree. Who remembers that the last one? I said the last one comes from the heart of God, and it means love what? Regardless. That no matter what, we love. And that love is what binds us in being peacemakers. We need to love each other enough to be able to make peace in those relational decisions, even if it means risking a friendship. We need to love each other enough to help the other person to see what it means to truly find peace. So that was last week. So those are the four foundations. And today we're going to talk about rules. We're going to talk about those darn rules that complicate our relationships. Now, my guess is, is that um, all of us in this room and all of us who are watching online, all of us in worship today, we probably have rules for life. You probably have rules for how you establish your day, how you do your day, what you do in your day. And then you negotiate those rules as you go on. But some of us are real critical with that, and we hold on to what that rule is steadfastly no matter what, and we're not willing to budge. That's the rule, and we're going to stay with that. Well, Patty and I are in this new season of our life. We're not in the lawn mowing and edging stage anymore. We're in a new season with grandkids. So we have, we have six grandchildren. Four of them live here locally, two in, in Mississippi. And our grandkids, I, I love being a grandfather. I, I, you know, I'm poppy. That's who I am. And I love being a poppy and, and just molding their lives and seeing and shaping. And, and our kids, our girls look at us and they say, why do you treat them differently than you did us? Who has grandchildren in the room? Yeah? You know what I mean by that, right? Any, any great-grandparents in the room? We had a couple. Okay, we've got a couple here, a couple in the last service as well. And so, so there's kind of this different standard. And, and, and so grandkids really help us to see. And you can pour into and you can mold. Now, our grandkids, all of them are rule keepers, but I think they're probably better at rule enforcers. Okay? Uh, rule enforcers. So I pick them up uh, from school every day, the local crew. I pick them up from their school every day. I'd bring them to my house or bring them here at the church and uh, just care for them, do homework hours until their mom gets off and can get them. One day I'm picking them up from school and I'm driving through up to a signal light. Now, who knows what a yellow light on the signal light means? Who knows what that means? Caution. What is it? Hit the gas. Who said that? Noel? Nice. Okay. So, yeah, so some of us think it does be that. Hey, just hit the gas, right? And we go on. Oh, it was, oh, was it you? Oh, it was Pastor Pam that said that. Okay. You know, the law actually says when the light turns yellow, you're supposed to stop. Did you know that? You're supposed to come to a controlled stop. So the light turns yellow, I come to a controlled stop, cars are zooming by me and then it turns red. And my uh, grandson in the back, my youngest one, Daniel, Daniel says to me, he says, um, he says, uh, Nani runs red lights, Poppy. And that, I mean, that's, you know, he's pointing that out, Nani runs red lights. So I think he was kind of saying, okay, that's good. So he's enforcing the rule. And so he threw his grandmother right under the bus, right? There it is. So our, our oldest granddaughter, Malia, Malia is the um, food enforcer. So she'll stand over the donuts and the cookies and things. Um, Hadley's not in her head back there because she helps care for him a lot of times. She goes, he's telling the truth on this. And Malia's the one that'll say, only two donuts, not three. Mommy said only two and not three. And then, and then there's our youngest grandson in Mississippi. His, his name is Henry. Hen see, Henry's wearing one of those traffic cones on his head. Henry lives in Mississippi. He rolls with different rules, okay? So that's just, that's just it with Henry. So, so we all run in rules, and, and the rules are with how we, how we deal with life, 
and, and what we do. So, so rules are important. They're what keep grandchildren safe. They're what keep us safe. We need rules um, in our life to be civilized. We need rules in our homes. I get all that. All those are things. But, but the point is when the rule sucks the life-giving love of life and relationships out of us, that rule is no longer applicable. So some of us, we, we look at rules as a way of stymieing our relationships. We look at rules as a way of, of saying, you have to do it this way. Some of us, the only way we can negotiate in a relationship when it comes to rules is to look at the other person and say, just tell me what the rules are. I'll follow them. Just, I'm, just tell me. I don't want to guess anymore. So rules are those things. So the bigger picture is that we have to look beyond our rules with each other. We need to look at the rules that we have in our relationship beyond don't do this, don't do that, don't say this, don't say that. And we got to look bigger picture to ask ourselves, how are we supposed to deal with each other and how are we supposed to relate in our relationship with God? And that's where I want to shift the focus this morning. I want to shift the focus into not just talking about how we're relating with each other with rules, but more importantly, how that relationship with God goes. Because God, when God created us, God created us to have a deep, abiding, loving relationship with him as our creator, as our heavenly father, as our Lord and with the Holy Spirit. God, when God created us, said, I, I created you to be in these loving relationships and somewhere along the line, all of that morphed when, when Adam and Eve decided to eat from the fruit, and all of a sudden, the rules changed. And we talked about that in our season of Lent, in our series, The Garden of Good and Evil. And so it, today, what I want to do is I want to take us to Matthew chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go to Matthew chapter 12 at home, do the same thing. Park right there, Matthew 12. We're going to look at one through eight. Just sit right there for a second, and we'll get there. Let me give you the backstory of what we're going to look at today, the backstory of Matthew 12, 1 through 8. So the religious elitists had come up with this complex system of laws and rules. Uh, God said to Moses, here are 10 commandments. And those commandments, God specifically said, Moses, here they are. Give them to my people and live out these commandments. Well, what happens is man gets involved and starts looking at these and says, but what did God really mean by you shall have no other gods before him? What does it really mean to say thou shalt not commit adultery? What does it really mean to say you shall not steal? And 613 complex laws got developed by man. Man built these laws and said, now we need to understand better um, how, how to run life and what it is. So those laws, instead of inviting a, a, a thriving relationship with God, those laws actually then started pushing people away from God. Because then it became this game of, of kind of tallying up how many rules are you keeping, how many are you not keeping, and are you doing it well or are you failing? And this whole rule system becomes trouble. Jesus enters the scene. Jesus comes on the scene, and he, and he sees all this. And we start looking in the New Testament as we start seeing these examples of his parables, of his teaching, of, of his life. And Jesus loves to get in those situations where he takes people that are full of the laws, and he begins to mess with them. He begins to dismantle a lot of these laws that they're holding each other accountable to. And when he starts doing that, he starts teaching different things that bring us closer to God. And when Jesus is speaking, when Jesus is, is teaching, when Jesus is giving examples, we need to tune in. We need to hear. 
And so in the midst of that, Jesus gets in a lot of trouble because he is playing with the lawgivers. So, so um, the rules were never meant, the Ten Commandments were never meant, and the rules that we should see in the Old Testament were never meant to keep people out of a relationship with God. When we started adding to that, we started complicating that. The goal of the rules was to lead people into a life-giving relationship with God. But we changed that. Let's go to Matthew 12, 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. All right, so originally, we're going to see this as a problem because the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do anything. The only thing you could do on the Sabbath was breathe, okay? All right, so, so Jesus is walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off heads of grain and, and eating them. But, but some of the Pharisees saw them do that and protested. Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. They're hungry. Jesus and his disciples gather the grain. They eat it. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees, who were the persons in charge of overseeing the law, they start pointing the finger. They start pointing out that Jesus' people and he are not as holy as they say they are. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, haven't you read in the scriptures what King David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. So Jesus is saying even the king broke the law. And why did he do that? Because he and his men were hungry, and inside the temple was a sacred bread, and yes, it was sacred, yes, it was only reserved for the priests, but it was a matter of them either starving or, or eating. And, and so Jesus is pointing out, even the king did this. And then he goes on, haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple, that they can work on the Sabbath? So now he's kind of pointing the finger back at them. So you guys are the, the law keepers and the, the guys overseeing that, but the priests are even breaking the law because, you know, they're allowed to work on the Sabbath, so why, why can't we feed people? I tell you, there is, there is one here who is even greater than the temple, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of the Scripture I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. I want you to be compassionate. I want you to show mercy. I don't want you worrying about the works that have to be done, but look at us as genuine, loving, God-created people. For even the Son of Man, Jesus said, is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Now, this is Old Testament stuff, right? And the Old Testament was, was built on all those laws. And, and, and those laws, the purpose was trying to have man define to, um, to the depth so that they could articulate and actually see how to live and do for God and not do for God. And Jesus is saying, you're looking at the wrong things. So here's the dilemma. So the Old Testament laws are actually pointing out the one thing that they cannot do. The laws cannot offer salvation. Okay, so what the laws actually expose is, is that it's kind of like you have humanity on one side, you have this chasm in between, and you have God on this other, and God wants human beings to connect with him, and we want to connect with God, but, but there's no way, and the law could not provide any way to do that. But Jesus is the bridge. Jesus, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, 
becomes the bridge. So, so what we find is, is that it's not the law, but it's Jesus that bridges us back there. The, the, the rules were meant to point us back into relationship with God, not at the expense. And there's a big difference that's there. So, so what did God do? So God, God comes down, right? So for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now that key word in that phrase there, this scripture that a lot of us learn when we first become Christians, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Uh, God did not come in the world to condemn, but to save. That word save, if we look at the Greek, the Greek word there is sozo. And sozo is not an interpretation that, that is just this get out of hell card, okay? It's not just this, this, this thing that keeps our booty out of, out of hell, so to speak. What sozo means, sozo means to redeem. It means to restore. It means to reconnect. So God came into the world not just for salvation, but to connect us back to God. And that's the, that's the important part that we need to see here. So, so when Jesus says, I am God, and I am coming into the world to die so that you can be reconnected, what he's saying is, is that we need to look at life through his lens. So you put your Jesus glasses on. And when you put your Jesus glasses on, you see the world totally differently than the way we see it without them on. And instead of seeing life full of rules and regulations that we have to follow in our relationships, when we put our Jesus glasses on, we see a difference. We see people for who they truly are in the image of God. Jesus is the word of God. He, he is God. And so some of us, we, we've kind of developed this theology that says that, that Jesus is some sort of subservient or subordinate part of who God is. No, no, no. Jesus is God in the flesh. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. Three different ways of presenting himself, one God. John writes it this way in his prologue. In the beginning, the word, which is Jesus, the Greek word is logos. In the beginning, Jesus was already existing. The, the word was with God, Jesus was with God, and the word was God, Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. So Jesus is not some afterthought. It's not plan B that, that the Father says, oh my gosh, there's sin in the world because of what Adam and Eve chose, so I need to like go create a, a minor being to send into the world. No, 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 no. Jesus is a part of the very beginning, and God reveals himself in flesh. So, so here's what this means, and this is beautiful when you think about who Jesus is. It tells us that the laws are not black and white print and book. You know, we spend a lot of time fighting over, this is what it says, read it, here's what it is. Jesus is, is not black and white print, he's flesh and blood. And so sometimes what we've got to do is we've got to be bold enough to look at what did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? How did Jesus appear? What, what was he like with others? Instead of looking at, this is what the rule says. What does Jesus do? And who is Jesus? I, I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8. And I'm going to go to uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message translation. Some of you like King James. Some of you like NIV, NLT. Let's look at the message. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. 
So when you're going for the jugular, what that means in our terminology is you're going for it, man. It's like no, there's no hit or miss. It's, it's on, okay? Game on. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant, but in his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. God is not detached. God isn't a God who doesn't care. He physically came into this world like us, knowing it's in a full mess. And he came anyway, is what Paul is saying. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. Paul, who was a Pharisee, before he became a follower of the way of Jesus, Paul says, the law can't save you. The law cannot get you closer to God. But Jesus can Okay, this is what he's saying. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. So the law was used as ways of pointing things out, put a band-aid on it, oh, just deal with this, cover it up or whatever. But it couldn't heal. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Listen to me. The law is external. Jesus is internal. External is not the change that God seeks in us. It's the internal change. Our heart metaphorically cannot be changed on the outside. It has to be changed from the inside. Are you with me? And that's the transformation that we see. The rules were never the point. The rules were to point us to Jesus, and Jesus is the rule. Jesus is the point. So you think about that for a second. Rule enforcers, they run a high risk of not having healthy relationships because you're not following the rules. You're not doing it by the book. You're not doing the rules the way that we said. You're gonna do this. What got me in a little bit of an itch with my wife years ago was because we had established that Friday was, was mowing day. Maybe I'm the one who made it the rule. But somehow out of that, with that came all these complications. It meant this, 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 and this. And when I didn't do it, we, we weren't in harmony. That's what enforcers do. They, they have challenges in relationships. It promotes looking for faults in others. It pushes us to be ledger keepers and to make sure that we see the sins in others so that we can keep tabs on what's happening. That's what enforcers of law run into. Now listen, I, I believe God is holy. I do. And, and God's word says, be holy as I am holy. I am not challenging the holiness of God. I am not challenging God's desire for us to be holy. I truly believe God is calling us back into a life of holiness. But I believe the way that God is calling us into holiness is not through laws, but through Jesus. And I challenge all of us to read the words of Jesus and to see how that works. That when we follow Jesus, that's what leads us back to God. Why? Because God is love, 
And God calls us to love one another. Here's what's interesting. When Jesus was asked this very important question, what's the greatest commandment? I love that he was asked that question. Think about it. Ten commandments, 613 written laws, the words of the prophets, both minor and major prophets, other kinds of rules and regulations that ran in and out of the temple and around the people of Israel. Of all those things, they say to Jesus, of all of those, maybe a thousand different things we're supposed to be responsible for, which is the most important? Don't you just love they ask the question? And I believe that the Holy Spirit was working through them at that moment because they knew they were itching. They knew that, that there's got to be something. It's not all of this other stuff. There's got to be something that points us directly to God. There has to be something that points us directly to one another. And what did Jesus say? You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Not a law, not a suggestion, a commandment directly from God. He said, and a second equally important is love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets, everything you can think about are based upon these two commandments. These two. Love God, love your neighbor. And as you're doing that, you're going to find a way to love yourself. So think about that. The Ten Commandments, 613 laws of the prophets, the prophetic sayings and preachings and proclamations and everything else. That's not what's important according to Jesus. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. You see, maybe it's not about rules. Maybe Jesus is showing us it's about him. And that means it's about relationship. Relationship, relationship, relationship. Say that word, relationship. That's what it is. If Jesus said it, maybe we should live it.